Welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. My name is Simon Thompson, your host for today. Wonderful to have you joining us on the podcast again. I say this every time, but we really are truly grateful for our regular listeners and subscribers uh, who have sat through almost 80 episodes of this podcast now since we started it in 2019. Uh, the time has flown by, but so much good content we have in the can, a lot of which is still relevant today. It doesn't really age that badly at all. So I would recommend uh, taking a look back through the archives if you're really interested in Meraki and our technology and also how we apply that to the real world. And that is very much the focus of our episode today. I'm really excited about this one because as, I, as I've said and you've heard me say many times before, we do love to bring partners uh, onto the podcast, whether they are deploying our technology or they're actually partnering and building on our technology with solutions of their own. I think there's so much opportunity with uh, what we've built here at uh, Cisco Meraki, and we love to just explore that with those who are out at the sharp end uh, dealing with real-world challenges and use cases. And one of the great things that we are very proud of at Meraki, and you've no doubt heard this word a million times from us, uh, is the simplicity. We have worked so hard to build a solution that is significantly easier to live with and manage on a day-to-day -day basis uh, than solutions that came before it. And of course, if you simplify one thing, it enables you to expand and do more. That's exactly what we want to get into today. Uh, and so to get us into this conversation, I want to introduce uh, our guest, Jeff Bright. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. It's good afternoon where you are. Where, where are you calling in from? Uh, from Oklahoma. Okay. And it's, uh, how's the weather in Oklahoma today? Is it as it warm as it is on the West Coast? Uh, it's very warm and humid. Uh, we had a big round of thunderstorms overnight, but now the sun has come out and it's going to be hot. Good day for air conditioning by the sounds of it. Very. Um, we'll come right back to you in just a moment, Jeff. I also want to bring in another Jeff. We're going to call him Jeffrey on the show just to avoid confusion. Uh, Mr. Handel from Cisco Meraki, how are you doing? I am doing excellent, Simon. Great. And uh, tell us a little bit about what you do at Meraki. Oh, I get to play with everybody around the world, covering the globe and thinking about solutions everywhere and anywhere from from Houston, Texas. That's a pretty broad description. Um, what, what's your actual job title? What do you do for us? I'm a global TSA. I get to hear people's problems and think about solutions and how to solve them together using our platforms within the Cisco portfolio. We do love to bust acronyms on this show. So TSA, Technical Solutions Architect, did I get that right? That is correct, Simon. Or in the <laughs> old days, these used to be just simple systems engineer, the ones that make everything tick and make everything work. It's a great job. I love that job. Um, well, uh, we've actually had uh, Jeffrey Handel on the show before uh, covering IPv6. Uh, which is a topic we know is near and dear to his heart. Uh, if you're into IPv6 and, and what we've been doing with that, uh, just dig back through the archives. I'm sure you'll find that episode pretty quickly. But the star of our show today, I want to bring back in uh, Jeff Bright from Bright Systems. Uh, so Jeff, uh, tell us uh, what you do. Uh, and, and obviously the organization, it sounds like it's all about your name. And so uh, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, Bright Systems has been around since 2009. Uh, so 13 years now. Um, my experience goes back 32 years. Uh, started out uh, working with uh, Microsoft Land Manager uh, and NetBuoy, the bridged protocol, oh my way back in 88. My first experience with Cisco was uh, in 1991, and I've been working on Cisco networks ever since. 
I've got um, multiple professional level certifications, CCMP Enterprise now, uh, CCMP Security. Um, that's pretty much that covers it there pretty succinctly. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a pretty extensive list already. So we we can say that you know a thing or two about networks by this point. Absolutely. So so tell us a little bit about your history. Um, you know, you started it off there. I love hearing some of these old names. The the, the net buoy. My goodness, uh, I think that was still around just about when I was starting my my career in uh, in networking. That was in the late nineties. So it was it, it hung around for a while, I guess. Um, but but so we don't send the younger audience to sleep. Maybe we just go through quickly a little bit of the history of uh, you know your experience with networking and and how you came to be uh, working with with uh, Cisco and ultimately with Meraki. So uh, back in the early 90s, I was working for an oil and gas company, and when I first uh, arrived there, they had several disparate 4 megabit token ring networks uh, using the old Type 1 cable and the, and the token ring mouths. And uh, we, we should we should I've got to interrupt you, Jeff, because uh, if let me see if I remember this correctly, the token ring, the, the first version of that, isn't this the one where you kind of clamp directly into the cable? Yeah, uh, actually, that was the Ethernet. Those were the vampire taps. Oh, okay. All right. The token ring had a very large uh, uh, connector on the end, and it plug. You had to plug it into the to the mouth, and you had to make sure that the ring, you know, was was complete, mm -hmm. so that so that the network would work correctly. Um, but we quickly determined that that wasn't uh, scalable, and we started uh, uh, transitioning towards uh, Ethernet. And at the time, it was still um, uh, bridged uh, uh, Ethernet via hubs, mm -hmm. and then uh, right about that time, the first Ethernet switches became available, and we started uh, doing 10 megabit switched Ethernet. And uh, uh, at the time, you know everything was uh, running on Novell uh, netware, mm -hmm. uh, but we decided that that we didn't think that was going to be scalable uh, for the long term, and we were, we were running TCP/IP and and NetBIOS over that. Uh, so that that worked that ended up working very well, and uh, we were using Cisco uh, routers, the old twenty five hundreds. I think I've even got like a three thousand still, one of the original ones. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're doing uh, frame relay uh, across the country to the different uh, locations, wow. uh, and then eventually um, started getting uh, ATM, and and now you know uh, MPLS at the time. I think you've touched on almost every single networking technology that's ever existed. That's incredible. Um, the only one that I didn't touch was X.25, but I did actually see some networks that were util utilizing that, and they actually had some connections going down into South America with that. It's really amazing. And, and things have changed so much, that, and the challenges have changed so much as well over time. Um, I, I can't help just reminiscing for a minute. I, I remember the first when I first became a network engineer, uh, we had a, a campus network with about 1,500 people working on it, and it was all um, connected with hubs, the entire, <laughs> the entire campus. And, and of course, uh, for those of you who are, uh, are too young to know this, they, the, that means that your broadcast domain is basically the entire site and every single device that's on it. It's incredible. And, and how we ever got any work done, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, well Simon, on the, on the topic of reminiscing, I am, believe it or not, I am not that old, but I did get to work with Token Ring and actually didn't know what I was holding in my hand at the time. But I did work through the transition of going from Token Ring to Ethernet to putting the very first wireless networks that had blinking lights 
with no connections for many years. <laughs> so I've been on the journey with you guys. Yep. It's been a fun ride. Um, but of course, we know, of course, Ethernet's all dominant now. And uh, we should uh, we should sort of bring the story forwards a little bit. Let's think about how Bright Systems came into existence, uh, obviously built on the back of all of this experience. So I uh, worked for an oil and gas company for a while, worked for a uh, broadcast industry company for a while. Um, then I worked for a small partner and then a much larger Cisco Gold partner. And then I decided to spin off on my own. And I've uh, been doing that since 2009, uh, taking on both large and small customers. Uh, there is no limit to, to what we'll, we'll, we will look at. Um, mm -hmm. And I still have some very large customers and I have some, uh, I actually installed some Meraki equipment in people's homes and it works very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure many of us are still are using that. I've got some in, in myself, um, and I'm sure Jeff has as well. Uh, so, the, the, I mean, it's amazing stuff. And, and I think one of the things that uh, we, we definitely wanted to get into on this episode, because we, we, you know, we've got a lot of, obviously, partners around the world, many, many tens of thousands of partners, uh, and they all sort of get to share in this experience of, of uh, standing on the shoulders, if you like, of, the, of that Meraki simplicity and building solutions for our customers. Uh, but um, Jeff sort of came to our attention because you know, the the sheer variability and and scale uh, variance in the in the uh, solutions that that uh, Jeff's worked on pretty fascinating and so much so that we we had to call this episode uh, the solutionist and uh, we just made up that word uh, and we wanted to just really focus on some of that innovation. Um, Jeffrey Handel, sorry for the confusion, everybody, but uh, we have got two Jeffs here. Uh, Jeffrey Handel from Meraki. Uh, maybe you could uh, walk us through with uh, with Jeff some of the some of the stories. Let's let's get into it. Awesome. Yes, I actually happened to meet Mr. Jeff Bright a long time ago by sheer accident. We sat on a at the same table and started talking ever since we've hit it on because he's just like a nerd as me. He looks at a problem, tries to figure out how do we piece it together, and we push the limits on everything that we touch. And one of the great things about Jeff Bright is that he touches anything from very, very simple, just get me a connection however we can to very complex things with weather stations or pushing large gigabyte uh, things of dry, uh, of, uh, of, of bandwidth for video and things like that. So Jeff, uh, in our history, I'd like to explore a little bit more uh, of how we push the boundary when it comes to video. Can you share a little bit about your history, how you use Cisco Meraki to push the bounds of pushing tons of gigabytes of video through limited pipes? So back during the uh, the start of the pandemic in 2020, uh, I had a, a customer that was doing a lot of video uh, backhaul, uh, video encoding, uh, the 4K video encoding uh, for a lot of the professional sporting um groups around uh, the United States and even around the world. And they had come to me because they were uh, struggling uh, trying to um, figure out how to configure uh, the Cisco switches. Uh, and I said, hey, uh, the Meraki switches are, are very easy to use. And that logically, and, and they love that. And that logically led to uh, introducing the Meraki firewalls, wireless access points, and um, back during the pandemic, uh, at the start of it, uh, there was a, uh, a professional sporting event that they had to back call an incredible amount of video. Um, and they basically gave me two weeks to set up the network. And, and originally they told me, 
oh, it might be like, you know, a couple hundred megabits. And then they said, and then they came to me uh, like two weeks before, and they said, no, this is probably going to be a couple of gigabits worth of video. So I had to scramble, get a couple of MX250s, and basically set up their network. And in the meantime, they were building a complete broadcast studio uh, to, to cover this just for this one event. And uh, it carried over three or four days. I'm not going to elaborate on who it was. You could probably guess. Um, but we basically took all of that video, uh, and unfortunately, it was Zoom video uh, because that was that was easy for them to use at the time. And we were aggregating all that video and then uh, backhauling it uh, over um, the internet to a uh, the broadcast uplink on the East Coast, and. Yeah. It, it went off without a hitch, uh, and we were, you know, continually pumping out at least two gigabits of, of video nonstop during the during the the whole event. And, and Jeff, I'd like to talk a little bit on, on this story. I mean, when we think about gigabits of video and tons, Meraki is not the first thing that comes to mind. Why did you decide to put your faith in the platform? Uh, because it was. Uh, the easiest thing to configure and and consume at the time um, wasn't sure that we were going to be able to get uh, uh, other firewalls the the traditional Cisco firewalls at the time and get them configured and tuned up to the point where we felt comfortable doing that but I had a long experience with Meraki and I was I was pretty confident that it was going to work and it did I want to just uh, jump in real quick I uh, Jeff maybe just help us understand how Meraki came to your attention in the first place. Like, what what was the first thing that, that got you into it? The the first the first Meraki product that I touched was some of the access points, uh, which would have been back mm, like the MR12s, MR16s, uh, and they were so easy to use, so easy to configure. Uh, the dashboard, you know, is a is a wondrous thing. Um, versus having to at the time. You know, if, if you set up a, a Cisco wireless network, you know, you had to configure the controller and all the access points. And if you really wanted to see, you know, everything that was going on, you had to have a prime infrastructure, you know, uh, set up mm -hmm. to, to, to monitor all of that. And, and the you know, the Meraki just basically uh, turned that on its head and made it so much simpler. So uh, I've embraced it fully, you know, ever since it became available. And it's only, you know, it just keeps getting better and better. And and the um the, the, the what what Jeff was talking about with the video, I mean, it sounds like you were pushing the boundaries pretty early on. Absolutely, and and even before that, uh, there were several other professional sporting events where there was Meraki switches that that uh, they were using to basically funnel all this video, and you'd be stunned if you if you knew who some of those major sporting events were. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I've actually, I was at Cisco Live a number of years ago, and I told the uh, one of the Catalyst um, managers uh, that, oh, by the way, you know, uh, all the video for this event was going through one of your switches, and he was just stunned. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Jeff, what were, the, what were the other stories that you were interested in picking up on? Since I know a little bit of the history of Mr. Jeff Bright, I know at some point in his career, he worked with weather long time ago he might be able to tell us a little bit about that but he's come full circle in that and bringing the meraki platform to play in weather solving problems using our new sensors and also while serving wireless could you tell us a little bit about how you came about with that solution and what were you serving so i started out uh in college at ou uh studying meteorology and uh at the time 
they uh, they're in the meteorology department. Um, they had an old uh, deck PDP 1170, I think it was maybe 1144. Uh, anyway, and I was enamored by that. I had not never seen a mainframe uh, that I actually had direct access to, and so I pivoted and switched over to computer science, but. During the time I was in uh, the meteorology, I uh, was one of the original storm chasers. And oh, cool. we, would, we would travel all over uh, uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, Texas, chasing tornadoes. And, and uh, it, there were several times where we would uh, chase out into the Texas panhandle and see tornadoes and then come back and into a uh, blizzard in Oklahoma. I mean, that's how variable the weather was. So. Did that for a number of years. Um, still have a have a fond uh, a, a great interest in the weather. Still follow it very closely. Um, so I had a a, a customer uh, come to me, and they wanted to provide some uh, wireless access to a um, outdoor festival, a, a small one, uh, you know, like in a parking lot. So I set my mind to it and went and got a couple of the. Um, MR outdoor access points. Uh, I believe the 86s were, were what was available at the time. And um, I utilized one of the, uh, the, the original cellular gateway, the MG21, and set that all up. I used some uh, tr antenna tripods like you would see on top of a house for the old TV antennas when people would put them on top of their houses. And that, that worked out well, but I had to have a um, uh, a NEMA enclosure uh, to house the network switch, you know, to provide the power for the devices. Uh, so I had to uh, kind of cobble something together there, uh, a couple of struts across the the, the tripod to, to hold the uh, cabinet in place. And, I, and it had to be easy to assemble and it had to be easy to take down. Uh, so I did all of that. Uh, I also, uh, right about that time, uh, the Starlink dish uh, arrived uh, last May, and uh, there was um, a concert series in a park here locally, and I actually took the system out there and set up the dish and was streaming two or 300 megabits of Wi-Fi, you know, throughout the park. And it, and it was only for a few hours, you know, but I probably had almost 100 devices that were connected to it and really didn't advertise or anything. People just saw the Wi-Fi and were joining it. Uh, it was it was actually pretty uh, amazing. Little did they know that you were pushing the boundary of yeah. using Starlink, which is still in beta. Mm -hmm. You <laughs> probably were. Let's just get it out there. You probably were one of the first in the world to probably put Starlink connection on an MX, and we were testing live in yep. production. Yep. <laughs> and uh, one of the cool things about working with Mr. Bright over the years is when he he's conjuring all these solutions. He usually calls me up and pings me and be like, do you think this will work? My answer is yes, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a systems engineer right there. <laughs> but yeah. uh, uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with experimentation. That's why we're in this business. We want to experiment. We want to push the boundaries and provide a solution. And the other thing that he did with a lot of these solutions is because of his weather background, he would put a little empty sensor. And now he's essentially giving out the weather at these stations and also monitoring his equipment, make sure he's not getting fried because it's in the middle of the sun and it's not ready for that. Right, Mr. Bright? That is correct. It sounds like you're speaking from some experience here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Those, uh, those NEMA enclosures can get pretty warm. Um, 
so you have to you have to take into account you know uh, trying to cool it. I've, I've looked at a number of different things, including some of the Peltier um, thermo uh, dynamic coolers to try to cool some of that equipment. Mm-hmm. But what about a, a story about scale and uh, like a really a, a sort of large deployment? Obviously, you talked about um, certainly large in terms of volumes of data with the with those video solutions. But uh, you know, what about uh, how effectively you found the solution scales for for those larger deployments? Any good stories there? Yep. So there's an oil and gas company here in the Tulsa area, and um, for the longest time, they were an ABC company, anything but Cisco. I remember and, that. Uh, they had a, uh, a number of Juniper firewalls that they were using to, to basically connect all of their remote sites together. And those were very arduous to, to take care of and configure and so on and so forth. And the, the, as soon as uh, uh, there was a change in leadership there, they, they were calling me saying, what, what can we do to fix that? I go, we can replace those Junipers with Meraki. And we did that right off the bat and ended up uh, swapping out about two dozen of those. And it's been running like a, like a champ ever since. Mm-hmm. And again, it's the, it's the simplicity of the, the, the management experience, the stability of the equipment. I mean, what, what comes to mind when you, when you picture Meraki as a, as a solution for these, these challenges that come your way? Uh, because it's just so easy to configure the equipment and, the, the, you know, the auto VPN, I mean, that is just almost a miracle on how well that works and how easy that is to set up. Yeah, we've heard that one quite frequently. I think it is a, it's certainly one of our most popular uh, features, I think. It certainly makes it very easy to, to connect sites together. I certainly remember some of the fun uh, and I put fun in inverted commas uh, that I had with uh, connecting sites together. Uh, the traditional way, if you like. Um, so, uh, and, and it's it's a long time. We've been talking about auto VPN for over a decade now, and and um, but but still to this day, I think it remains one of the most popular uh, yeah. elements of the of the solution. So that same customer, they came back to me and said, "We have a data center here. Uh, we need to we need to monitor this from an environmental and a physical security." And I said, mm-hmm. "That's great." Uh, we'll put in some uh, cameras. I put in a couple of the MB32 cameras, an MB22 camera, put in the MT sensors uh, for the water leak uh, and the uh, air condition or the uh, air temperature and humidity, and also the door contact so they could monitor who was going in and out. And occasionally somebody would leave the door open, and we put that alert on there as well to let them know that somebody had left the door open. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly after we did that, um, we were watching the uh, the temperature uh, graph from the from the MT10, and it started showing us that the temperature was going up and up. And it turns out that the air conditioning unit um, had was about to fail, mm. and they were able to go in there and fix that before it did completely fail, and saved probably I don't know two, three, four hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment wow. that was in that in that data center. So that paid for itself instantly. Yes, I mean, you sure you didn't trip over the wire of the AC unit, right? You didn't unplug exactly. it accidentally. Yeah. Now it had a, the compressor was about to fail on it. Yeah, that's, the, I mean, that just goes to show how uh, the right investment at the right time can, like you said, potentially save a lot of headaches. And, and um, you know, we've had some really good stories about the sensors since they were deployed. Uh, both the, the kind of example you gave around overheating, uh, but also in the other direction, being able to see. Uh, how much uh, you're you're cooling your environment as well, because you know one of the things I've found with with some data centers is they're just over 
cooled. And so, of course, that's extremely expensive to do. And, um, you know, thinking about the sustainability side of things, there's there's all kinds of ways in which these uh, sensors can just tell us more and help us help us uh, make improvements there. Yeah, I had another customer that um, uh, it's a restaurant, a barbecue restaurant here, and they had uh, an old freezer that, that they had actually bought from somebody else used. And as soon as the MT-11 sensor came out, I, I got one of those and installed it there. And it wasn't like three or four days later that the, that the sensor started alerting saying, hey, th- this is this is getting too hot because mm. uh, it was supposed to be like below 20 degrees and it was getting close to freezing. And uh, sure enough, they went in and, and fixed it and saved several thousand dollars worth of food. So it once again, little sensor paid for itself immediately. Mm. We're sensing a pattern where you go fix things, things break right after. <laughs> Yeah, you'd think that there might be some collusion there, but there's not, I promise you. There's always opportunities. Um, I'm kind of curious, uh, what what would you say was the biggest sort of challenge that you've been given in terms of, uh, you know, a customer real world problem that you you were asked to go in and and help solve? So I had another customer that uh, makes wooden cabinetry for, for new homes and the the it's just a terribly dirty environment all the dust from all of the wood that's being cut to make the cabinets and uh, they needed uh, basically a complete solution and uh, the very first thing I did was move the the, they had all of their equipment in like a cabinet out in the shop and it was just so in you know just covered in dust and, and the equipment was just you know struggling big time so the very first thing I did was move that equipment into a cabinet inside their office, but then deployed uh, a number of uh, the uh, MR36 wireless access points out there. They already had a number of cameras, but just basically uh, overhauling that network 100%, and it's it's been rock solid ever since. I think it breaks a, a network engineer's heart when they see uh, when they see their switches all gummed up with dust and. And uh, in this case, sawdust kind of been a pretty sight. Yep, I uh, was working for another customer, and they had a bakery, and I, I, uh, they had a switch that failed, and I, I went and looked at the switch and uh, plugged it in, and the flour just flew out of that switch. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. Yes, not included in the feature list. Typically, that one. No. <laughs> It sounds as though you get a real kick out of uh, out of these sort of challenges that that uh, that get thrown your way. Would you say that's fair? Yes, absolutely. Uh, very much enjoy uh, solving problems. I mean, that's that's the whole point uh, is 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 making you know the networks better, making lives better, you know, for for the customers, so that they don't have to worry about the network. And it's become so foundational now. If if you don't have uh, a, a good foundation with with the network and especially power protection, the environment, and everything. That's that's basically layer zero now. Um, mm-hmm. And then you and then you have to labor or, or uh, layer the network on top of that, and and then you start adding in your applications, your, your phone systems, stuff like that. It, it really, um, if you do it right, it will work very very well, and the customers just love it. We're mixing the uh, the layer analogies here, so uh, layers on layers, by the sounds of it. 
the, the Bible talks about building your house on a foundation of sand, and that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see a lot of a, a lot of that, and I've solved a lot of those problems. Uh, what about trends? I mean, uh, I, obviously we've we've been through a tough time with this uh, with this pandemic, so it had affected a lot of people and changed their working patterns. What what have you seen happening uh, over the last few years? Uh, so much of the work from home, uh, and and now that things have opened back up. Oklahoma never really shut down completely, mm-hmm. uh, but there was definitely a, a big change. Uh, and now that, that things have, have opened back up pretty much to normal, uh, you still have a lot of people that are wanting to work from home. So the hybrid work is is very uh, popular now. And of course that, you know, forced a lot of the customers to have to, you know, think about VPN connectivity right. for, the, for the, some of them for the very first time. And it was, it was, uh, quite amazing to, to see that transformation in just basically a year or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we saw we saw a huge demand very, very quickly as this uh, as the pandemic started to grip a couple of years ago for these uh, teleworker devices, the, the Z3s uh, that we still sell. So that, that's a, the super popular uh, way of looking at it. Sounds like a really interesting uh, range of stuff that you've you've worked on, Jeff. I mean, what, what do you imagine? Uh, for the future, what what do you think? Um, where do you see this going? To the technology, uh, the the networking side of things in particular. So we've we've just about reached the point now where wireless and wired are equivalent as mm-hmm. far as the availability, the speed, the reliability, and I really think the needle is going to start heading even more towards the wireless than the wired. I mean, wired will never go away, but the, the wireless is becoming so uh, prevalent. And I mean, everything is is utilizing it. So I really think that, that that's where things are, are uh, going at the moment. And that's why we need more network addresses. Uh, yes. Is that right, Mr. Handel? Oh, that is a nice plug in for Mr. <laughs> for IPv6. I think you've been listening, Simon. It only took you 10 years. <laughs> We'll be making great strides on IPv6, and uh, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's fully fully justified at this point. I think uh, the interesting one with with what you're saying as well, Jeff, is is the uh, the proliferation of devices, of course. And and when we think about networking, we also have increasingly talk about cellular coming in, and we keep hearing about five G. I feel like it's been the most hyped technology uh, for so so long now. And of course, we you know it's something that we're we're keeping a close eye on. I mean, how do you see 5G vis-a-vis uh, Wi-Fi? Um, we, we've got some new, exciting new spectrum to play with now on Wi-Fi, right? Yeah, the uh, the 6 gigahertz spectrum uh, is probably the biggest change to Wi-Fi since Wi-Fi was invented uh, or, or deployed. Mm. And that's that's going to be a game changer. And that just you know fuels the uh, charge to switching everything over to wireless. And that's, that's only going to become uh, more prevalent. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I plugged a, an Ethernet cable in. It's it's uh, it, it, I still like to occasionally. It gives me that sort of nice nostalgic feel. <laughs> occasionally, you'll get it yourself in such a noisy environment. But let's be honest, the uh, the technology advanced so far. Like you say, I mean, it's it's basically you can't distinguish it so easily anymore. Well, yeah. well, let me let me let me let me chime in for a second. Put my security hat on. With so much wireless, the engineering me is always thinking, okay, this is still a shared environment. It means I'm more susceptible to attack. What's your take on security, especially since you have a wide breadth of customers from manufacturing to uh, tribal nations, 
to just healthcare, financial customer? What, what's the common theme that you see from a security angle there? Unfortunately, the thing that I still see with security so much is so many people are, are just clueless about it. They they think that 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 you know it, ignorance is bliss, and it's not when it comes to cybersecurity. Hmm. And and that's that's a constant challenge is trying to educate people. You know that no, you're not safe. You know you really need to have you know a good quality firewall. You really do need to have um, you know the umbrella DNS. Don't be using, you know, Google, AT&T, whoever uh, for your DNS because those just blindly resolve stuff. You need those layers of protection um, to, you know, protect you because the, the people out there now, it's not the not the kiddies in their basements anymore. These are state actors and organized crime that are going to try everything they can to get into your equipment any way they can and use it for nefarious purposes. It certainly feels as though when we talk about simplicity, I mean, I, I often think about the, the, the network in particular, but from a security perspective, it's almost as though it's a, a never ending challenge. It's, it's, it's a constantly moving ball as far as uh, trying to help our customers achieve something like the same kind of simplicity with security specifically. And uh, so that feels like it's going to keep us busy for, for potentially forever. Yes, and, and especially on the MX uh, firewalls, I mean, it's, it's three clicks to turn on the AMP for endpoints, the content filtering. Uh, I mean, it's it's so easy to do that, and, mm -hmm. and, and people look at that, and, and they think, okay, what did you just do? And I go, I just protected you, you know, from a lot of threats. And they're just, okay. <laughs> they just go on about their business. It's almost deceptively simple. And just clicking that yes. button and hitting save is, uh, and there's so much going on in the background. And that's, that's, of course, how it should be. I mean, we, ultimately, that's what technology should be doing, right? It should be making everybody's lives easier. And, and, and the human nature aspect, obviously not everybody is into the tech as much as uh, perhaps the three of us are, uh, but we've got to make it accessible and protect everybody. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's our responsibility in a sense. Okay, well, let's uh, let's bring start bringing things towards a conclusion. I think Jeff, um, I'm sure anybody who's listening is, is sort of revved up and excited about some of these solutions, the breadth of what we've we've talked about and, and what you've been involved in, and your enthusiasm for it, which is which is very evident. Um, what sort of advice would you give for anybody who's thinking about sort of starting off on a journey of of you know becoming a solutionist? Let's let's put it that way. Somebody who's who's going out and 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 trying to fix some of those real world problems. So uh, the young people that are just coming out of high school, you know, they basically have a choice. They can they can go the college route and and um, you know gain a lot of experience that way. But a lot of the technical schools, you know, uh, that are teaching uh, the Cisco networking academies and stuff like that, that's also a really good way, you know, to 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 get into the into the basically the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and you know. Every Cisco partner needs certified, you know, Cisco engineers uh, to, to grow their business and, and to keep up. So, you know, if you have those Cisco certifications, you're going to be set for life uh -huh. um, because they're they're in high demand and, and that demand is only going to increase. Yeah, I, I can certainly see that. Um, Mr. Handel, anything you'd add to that? Well, and as we heard, it's no longer a one-dimensional thing. It's no longer just connectivity, which is where we focused in the mm -hmm. early days of token ring, 
and converting to Ethernet, we focused on connectivity. But now there's many more dimensions to IT. It's about security. It's about environmental sensors. When did we think that the environment would be important for a network? Well, now all those worlds are converging. There's a lot of opportunity and there's still a lot of untapped potential out there. I mean, you guys touch upon wireless. Well, wireless now includes satellite connections too. That's a whole different ball game. So it's definitely getting very excited. And uh, so plenty of potential there. Mm -hmm. I would agree 100%. I, I think uh, the, the challenges are going to keep on evolving as as technology advances. And, and it is exciting to, to, to go out and try and solve these these problems. I think for me, that's the, the most interesting part is you, when you see your technology applied out in the real world, so that, uh, you know, people who are going about their regular business who don't consider networking the most important thing at the center of their world, they can just get on with whatever it is that they're trying to do. So, you know, we're really excited about that. And, and it's so awesome to, to speak to somebody who's out there doing it for real at the sharp end. So, uh, Jeff Bright, thank you so much for joining us uh, on our podcast. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, Mr. Handel, thank you also for your time. No problem. And just remember, last last words of, of what advice. Don't look, look at things as one-dimensional. Look at it as multi-dimensional. And Mr. Bright is living that. He's solving one problem, but many at a time. And some of his uh, work is published out in the community. So join the community and check it out. Oh, yes. Good idea. Plug the Meraki community. Let's do it. Community.meraki.com. Uh, I've got a new project to post out there very shortly. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to go say hi to Jeff, you know where to go now. Nice one. All right, gentlemen, thank you again. Uh, it's time to wrap things up. I want to thank you all uh, for listening to this week's uh, episode of Meraki Unbox. We publish these every two weeks. And if you're not already a subscriber, you know what to do. Find your favorite app, hit that subscribe button, uh, because we, we love making this content. And as I always say, uh, if you have any ideas, anybody you would like us to feature, or if you'd like to be on the podcast yourself, uh, you can easily reach out to me. Uh, find me on Twitter, and my handle there is at Meraki Simon. Uh, I'm also hanging out in the Meraki community, so you can use that instead if you prefer. Um, just love to hear your feedback on on what you think of the show and and how we can uh, we can keep it fun for you. Because as we've heard, there's so much uh, more content and so much more to talk about. So this will keep us uh, very busy for quite a while to come, I think. So thanks again for tuning in, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>